This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 8. Let me show you another place where this predestination stuff is talked about. And really, there's only two places where it is talked about, Romans 8 and Ephesians 1. I know that predestination is a very, very hard-to-understand subject for a lot of people, and that's usually the case whenever religion gets in the mix. The Bible's really simple on it. So you can have it either way you want to. You can have the, the, the agony over, over the subject that religion brings, or you can have the truth of the Bible that's very simple. Your choice. Romans chapter 8. We'll start reading in verse 26, because that's where the subject begins. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Infirmities means weakness, not sickness here. Well, what weakness do we have? For we know not what to pray for as we ought. That is a weakness, isn't it? There's a lot of things you don't know how to pray for like you ought to know. That's a weakness. Well, the Holy Ghost helps you there. How does He help you overcome that weakness? But the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. A lot of people get all twisted up on the word groanings. They get freaked out. Oh, groanings. Does that mean God's going to make you groan? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Groanings which cannot be uttered just simply means God talk. He's talking about speaking in other tongues. He's talking about divine utterance. So the Spirit helps you when you don't know how to pray for things like you ought to know by giving you utterance in other tongues to pray those things out. That's all verse 26 is saying. Verse 27, And he that searches the hearts, that's God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, God knows what the Holy Ghost is saying, even though you don't know because you're speaking in other tongues. Well, what do we know then if we don't know what we're saying? We know that the Holy Ghost is giving us utterance to pray according to the will of God. Praying in other tongues is the, is the easiest way to be unselfish in your praying. Because you're not praying what you want to pray. You're praying what the Holy Ghost gives you to pray. You can't pray selfishly if you're praying in other tongues. Because that's utterance given by God. That's not you trying to direct your prayer. And and outside of that, you can be pretty selfish in your praying, can't you? I've heard people want to get me to agree with them. Pastor Mike, pray with me that so-and-so will do such and such. Well, how do we know so-and-so wants to do that? I can't pray against their will. Or I can, but it wouldn't do any good. So it's real easy to get selfish in your prayer, but not when the Holy Ghost is giving you utterance to pray. Praying in other tongues is such a wonderful tool because it helps you to pray beyond things that you can understand, helps you to pray beyond things that you know how to pray. And it, even some things you may know how to pray up to a certain point, but after that, how do we know? If you're going to pray, if I'm going to pray for you, I may know some things about going, that's going on in your life, but I don't know everything. But if I get the Holy Ghost to help me to pray for you, He knows what's going on. He knows how to pray for the things that you wouldn't want me to know about. Verse 28. Here's a verse that everybody knows. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God <laughs> and to them that are called according to His purpose. Does anybody ever hear that verse of Scripture talked about in any way other than when tragedy strikes? And that's the way that verse is used. The context of that verse is things will work out to your good after you pray in the Holy Ghost. You pray in the Holy Ghost in verse 26, make intercession, who will give you intercession by the will of God in verse 27, and that can't help but work. 
because you're praying according to God's will. That's what verse 28 means. It doesn't mean God uses tragedy to turn it around for good. It doesn't mean that at all. Now, God may turn tragedy around for good. I would expect God to turn everything around for good because you're predestined to win. But that's not what verse 28 is saying. It's not saying don't, you know, just take tragedy when it comes because God's got a higher purpose. No. You can avoid a lot of tragedy in life by praying in the Holy Ghost. And God will turn around what the devil meant to be a destructive place or event in your life. And it will be good because you've prayed according to the will of God, by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Ghost. And as a result, things will turn out good. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that are called of God. Notice the word called of God. Called according to his purpose. Them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose. What does that mean? That means they've been invited and responded to make Jesus the Lord of their lives. Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. For whom he did foreknow, he also predestinated. Now, what did he predestinate you or me or anybody toward? To be conformed to the image of his son. What does that mean? That means God knew you before you were ever born. I I don't want to make this an abortion topic. But how could God know you before you were born if life does not begin at conception? How could God foreknow you if life doesn't begin at conception? For whom he did foreknow, he also did did predestinate. Here's preplanned. Here's what God preplanned before the foundation of the world. He preplanned for you to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, his son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, folks, what's the difference between the firstborn and the secondborn, the thirdborn, fourthborn, and so forth? Just the order of their birth. In other words, as far as God's concerned, when he sees you, he sees Jesus. You're just as much his son or daughter as Jesus was his son. You are a child of God equally with Jesus. He was just the firstborn. He's not the bestborn. Although in our minds, he should be. The Bible doesn't call him the bestborn. The Bible didn't call God's real son. He says he's the firstborn. That means you're equal with him as a child of God. If if these words mean anything. Now, if they don't, if these are just the words of men, then you come up with your own religion. You got as much a, a shot at it and opportunity as anybody else does. But I believe this is the word of God. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, that's that pre-planning, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, here's this pre-planning that took place before the foundation of the world, before the world was ever beginning, before Genesis 1-1 ever took place. Before in the beginning God created the heavens and the world, God did predestinate them, whom he did predestinate them, he also called, invited And whom he called, he also justified. Now, the second time the word called is used, it indicates a response, doesn't it? So those that responded, he justified. That means to made holy and without blame, according to Ephesians 1.4. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, 
on the heels of this, Paul is making a logical progression of thought. So what does he say? He says, so what does this mean? That's what the next verse is talking about. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? In other words, he's saying, so what does all of this mean? I'm glad he just didn't throw doctrine out there and say, now figure it out for yourself. He says, so what does this mean? If you pray in the Holy Ghost, God works things out to your good because you're praying the will of God. Why? Because he foreknew you and predestinated you to be conformed to the image of his son. And those he foreknew and predestinated, them he called. And who he called, he justified. And who he justified, he glorified. It doesn't say he's going to justify you. It doesn't say he's going to glorify you. It says it's happened already. You're already justified. You're already glorified. Now, you may not look glorified to you. You don't look too glorified to me either. (laughs) But that's because we look at things naturally. If we quit looking at things naturally and start looking at things spiritually, it'll change the way we look at things naturally. This is what it's saying. It's saying you've been justified, you've already been glorified in Christ Jesus. Not in and of yourself, but because it was part of God's original planning. Part of the event that the world was invited to, which is called redemption. What shall we say to these things? If, literally, since God be for us, who can be against us? He's saying God's on your side. What does it matter what comes against you? Now, folks, go back to what we talked about. God calls things that be not as though they are. He calls things that be not as though they are. If he has called you into victory, and he has, if he has called you into the victory that Jesus showed us, Jesus said, I'm the one that shows you what the Father is like. He that's seen me has seen the Father. Show me anything Jesus ever lost in. There were times where Jesus laid his life down. There were times where he didn't respond. But show me anything that he lost in. Show me anything that he didn't have the the means to overcome. Whether they were physical, whether they were financial, whether they were spiritual. Show me anything that he did not have the spiritual power, the supernatural power that translated into natural resources to overcome him. Anything. Please. Anybody. Doesn't exist. And you're the firstborn, or he was the firstborn among many brethren. That means if you're one of the brethren, you've got the same things that he does. Why? Because he preordained you, he predestined you to obtain an inheritance. What inheritance? The same inheritance that Jesus operated in. That means you're predestined to win in whatever you face. And since God has already called things that be not as though they are, all you have to do is by faith exercise your belief in his word to obtain those things that have been spoken. That's why we can stand. I don't want to use the word wait because wait indicates uh, a, a passivity. I think too many people are waiting on God and, and that's not what the Bible means where it says wait on the Lord. When I use the word stand, I mean to hold your ground actively, aggressively expecting God's word to be realized in your life. Why? Because you've been predestined to be conformed to his image. You've been predestined to do the same works that he did. You've been predestined to win in everything in life just like Jesus did. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for your transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities, that's sins. 
the chastisement of your peace was upon him. That's provision. That's the penalty or the uh, uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty. And by his stripes, you were healed. That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, we wouldn't expect them to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? Why is it different with healing? Jesus paid the same price at the same time. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So what shall we say to these things? Since God's for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you realize what Paul is saying in verse 32? He's saying it's impossible for God to not give you what you need. Why? Because he's already given you Jesus. And you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's impossible for you not to have what you need. You've been predestined to win. That's what reigning in life is all about, folks. Now, notice I'm not saying one thing about you being strong in yourself. Notice we haven't said one word about you being strong. We haven't even talked about being strong in faith. We've talked about the operation of faith limitedly. But we haven't even talked about being strong in faith. Why? Because you're a joint heir with Jesus. You've got an inheritance in Him. It works because you're in Him. Not because you're you. But because you're in Him. It's His inheritance that you're partaking of. You're a joint heir with Him, the Bible says. Verse 33. What else are we going to say about these things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Elect means those that have responded. Those are the ones that RSVP'd to the party and came. So he's saying, very simply, who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Since you've responded to Jesus, who can put blame on you? Folks, there's only one answer to that, and that's you. The devil can't. People can't. They can claim that you did something wrong. The devil can accuse you of doing something wrong. But the Bible says that you've been predestined to be holy and without blame before him in Christ. Holy and without blame before God because you're in Christ Jesus. So who's going to lay anything to your charge? Who's going to claim that you have blame attached to you? Nobody. Folks, I want to go back to the original thing that I said. Before the world was ever created, the two things that God established, first and foremost, is that you would be holy and without blame. Simply by making Jesus the Lord of your life. So who's going to lay anything to your charge? Well, but Pastor Mike, my aunt said this. Okay. There's a number of excuses or reasons for that. Maybe your aunt's an idiot. Maybe she doesn't know. Maybe she's mistaken. There could be simple answers for this or complex ones. But the reality is, who can lay anything to your charge? Who can make you feel unworthy? Only you. The devil can't do it. Other people can't do it. 
Now, that doesn't mean we're never going to make a mistake. And when we make a mistake, we need to fix it. We need to turn around. Remember, we've been predestined to obtain an inheritance in love. We've got to maintain our love walk. So if we do something wrong to somebody, we've got to be the first ones to say, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Or I don't know what I was thinking when I did that. Whatever the case is, we have to make it right. We have to forgive. We have to offer ourselves up for the things that we made mistakes. But none of those things make you unworthy. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God of the elect? Why? Because it's God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? Who's going to condemn you? You're the only one that condemn you can condemn yourselves, folks. The devil can't do it. If the devil tried to take your mistake up before God, God's going to say, hey, they're holy and without blame. They're in Christ. And he has a legal right to do it because Jesus died for the sins of the world. Jesus took the penalty of sin, the original sin that brought that opened the door to spiritual death into the world, as well as your individual sins. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather than it is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You know the reason Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father? The reason he's seated at the right hand of the Father is proof that you were predestined to win. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He never moves from the Father's right hand as the eternal proof that you're redeemed. And through that redemption, you have the inheritance. You're the, the, one of the, the many brethren that Jesus was the firstborn of. You're predestined to be conformed to his image. You're predestined to do his works. You're predestined to reign in life through him. And Jesus is the proof of that, always sitting before the right hand of the Father. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I never knew those things were whose. Notice he doesn't say what shall separate us. He said who? There must be a personality behind those things. Well, this is all the stuff that the devil does to try to separate you from the position that you rightly have in Christ Jesus. This is how he tries to separate you from the predestined win that God has ordained for you. A lot of people get all wound up about some people predestined to heaven, some people predestined to hell. Forget that. The reality is you've been predestined to win. Pure and simple. You want to have to talk about predestination? Let's talk about predestined to win. Religion won't have that discussion. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is tribulation enough to do it? How about distress? How about persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, now here's the point of all of this, folks. This is what Paul is going to, uh, or starts off by saying in verse 31, what does this mean? Nay, and all these things were more than conquerors. Nay, and all these things were more than conquerors. Why? Because we've been predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son, we've been called, justified, and glorified when we responded to the invitation. Now, with that in mind, I want you to turn with me over. We'll close with this. I know I'm out of time. But uh, turn with me over to First um, John chapter 5. Notice in verse 4, John said, by the Holy Ghost, for whatsoever is born of God. Now, things are not born of God. Whatsoever is born of God has got to be talking about people. People are born of God, right? 
People are born again. Things aren't born again. People are. So the whatsoever is born of God, he's talking about people. So let's use whosoever. For whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. Notice what John is saying by the Holy Ghost. He's saying whoever is born of God wins. Now, obviously, he's talking about potential. He's not talking about automatic because not every Christian wins. That goes back to where we started in Romans chapter 5. Whoever takes hold of, whoever acts on the abundance of grace, the finished work of Jesus, and the gift of righteousness, realizing that they've been made holy and without blame, that was God's original plan, those are the people that are going to reign in life. In other words, it's a mindset. It's not just being born again. It's an understanding of who we are and what belongs to us in Christ Jesus. It's not just being saved, folks. Being saved is the, is the, is the entrance. And mindset wouldn't matter if you weren't born again. So I don't mean to minimize salvation, but salvation is walking through the door. There's a whole big house on the other side of the door. Your inheritance is a whole lot more than just the threshold. But you can't get to the inheritance without crossing the threshold, which is making Jesus the Lord of your life. But so many Christians get saved and they sit in the door frame. They've been given a whole house, a mansion, if you will. And they get saved and they sit down and say, oh, isn't this wonderful? Well, there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, but, but this is just great. After a while, you get hungry sitting in the doorframe. And then so many Christians are saying, well, I don't know what God's purpose is in this, but I guess he has a plan. Well, his plan is for you to go in the kitchen and eat. (laughs) You see the point? So he's talking about a knowledge of who we are. The Bible says, uh, Peter said it this way, first... uh, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, I think it is. He said, grace and peace are multiplied unto you through the knowledge of Jesus. Grace and peace are multiplied unto you. He didn't say they're added. He said they're multiplied. Now, how is grace multiplied? If grace is the finished work of Jesus, how is that multiplied unto you? Through the knowledge of who you are in Christ Jesus. The knowledge of who you are will enable you to partake, take hold of what Jesus has done so that you can reign in life. So he's got to be talking about something more than just Getting saved. It wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great? Well, it wouldn't be, but we think it would be if somebody got saved and the next day everything just worked out for them for the rest of their lives. You know the problem with that? Nobody would ever grow. Because people would get saved for the natural benefits. But the reality is when you get saved, even though there's more opposition raised against you from that point forward, you can learn about who we are in Christ And then things will work out for you, even when it looks like you lose, the faith that we have through the knowledge of God's Word will cause things to turn around and change circumstances. God didn't make it easy for you. If He'd have made it too easy for us, then it would have been a natural thing and, and it would, well, the, the time in the history of the church where the church was the most powerless was when the king commanded everybody to become a Christian. Because then everybody got said they were a Christian, but they were a Christian for the wrong reasons. But the reality is, if we give our hearts to the Lord and then commit ourselves to the Word, God makes all the other stuff work out. 
That's when we become equipped to win. That's what he's talking about here. For whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. Born of God and knows who they are in Christ, in other words. Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Notice he did not say, and this is the process that we overcome the world. He said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. He said, your faith, your belief in God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Your belief in God's word and your action on that faith by confessing with your mouth. Jesus said that faith works in two ways. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. He's literally saying, if we put these things together, he's literally saying what you believe from God's word and say with your mouth is your victory. It's not the means of victory. It is your victory. In other words... If I speak healing because the Bible says Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with the stripes I'm healed. Therefore, I confess I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. That's my victory. It's not the means whereby victory comes. It is the victory itself. As far as I'm concerned, it's mine now. I've just called things that be not as though they were. You're not healed when your body shows up well. You're healed because God said, or when you were healed when God said, Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. Literally, you were healed in the pre-planning meeting when God said, Jesus, here's what you will do. That's why faith is such an absolute thing for us. If we just understand how it works. If you've confessed the word of God in your situation, I don't care if it's been a week, I don't care if it's been a month, I don't care if it's been 10 years, it's real as far as God is concerned. Why? Because he called things that be not as though they were. So what are, what's our part? Our part is to aggressively stand, expecting the things that we've spoken to come to pass. Now, if you expectantly stand, what does that mean you do? It means you praise God for the answer. Folks, you've been predestined to win. If you don't get anything else out of this this morning... Well, there's a lot of things I want you to get out of this this morning. I don't know what I'm trying to say. You've been predestined to win. There's not one area in life that God planned for you to lose. Now, I've had some losses. I don't know about you, but I've had some losses. What does that mean? That means I didn't understand what belonged to me. Let me face that situation again see how it turns out. I can't do anything about the losses in my past, but I can try to make sure... That through the knowledge of the word and growing in the things of God, finding out who I am in Jesus Christ and and meditating on the fact that I am holy and without blame before him in love, I don't have to lose again. Because I've been predestined to win, and so have you. There's a lot of talk in the body of Christ about predestination. But the Bible says that you've been predestined to be in the family of God and to walk in victory all the days of your life. That's what God has predestined you for, victory in the name of Jesus. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You know the reason, one of the main reasons why we won't forgive other people? Because we're afraid they won't get what's coming to them. So what does that tell us about the love that we're supposed to walk in, the forgiveness that we're supposed to walk in? It's supposed to be a total forgiveness so that we're not looking for anybody to get theirs anymore. Now, that can be tough. It's one thing to say, the love of God has filled my heart. 
And therefore, Father, I pray for my enemies, knowing full well that you will pour out the wrath of heaven upon them. But perfect love isn't looking for somebody to get theirs. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't deny that I've been done wrong, but it just says I'm not looking for them to get theirs because of it. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.